and this is the Influence Watch podcast. All is not well at the Democratic Socialists of America, the most prominent and powerful openly socialist political advocacy organization in America. Longtime activists are quitting, the budget isn't balancing, and everything leftism is propagating. Joining me to discuss the turmoil at the DSA are my colleagues Sarah Lee and Robert Stilson. Uh, both of you guys, welcome back. Hey, Mike. Hey, thanks, Mike. Uh, so, Robert, you've written a bit on this, but let's set the background first. What is the DSA and sort of why should we care about it? Yeah, I mean, the DSA is, since the early 1980s, it's, it's probably been the most prominent socialist political activist group in the United States. And um, that has really accelerated since about the mid-2010s when they uh, saw a dramatic membership growth and um, – corresponding political national political influence uh basically tied to the first bernie sanders presidential campaign in 2016 you know he was a self-identified democratic socialist yeah, he's, so he's not did, a he's not a dsa member but he's a self-identifies as a socialist exactly he's not a member of the dsa but if you but if you google democratic socialism you're going to reach the dsa's website and so that drove a lot of attention to the organization and then donald trump was elected later that year which also drove a lot of people to the DSA. And then Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was elected in 2018. I guess she, she primaried a, a yeah, Democratic Yeah, it would have been early 2018 she wins the primary, but the, in that district, the primary is determinative. Yes, yes. And that was a – and she was a DSA member, so that drove a lot of, of growth at the organization. So the bottom line is by 2021, um, you have an organization that has something like you know 95,000 members – when back in 2011, when the now outgoing national director joined the organization, it had like 5,000 members. So it's exponential growth. And, um, and, and that has come along with the organization, not only uh, increasing its influence, but uh, becoming more uh, radical. Yeah. So now, you know, they've been in this period of ascendancy. They've gotten a couple of their members elected to Congress, uh, a lot of uh, power in the major cities, especially New York. Uh, but things have started to go off the rails. When and why? Uh, that's a good question. The when probably, um, so the bottom line is you have a budgetary crisis at the DSA. You you have a couple different crises at the DSA, but the budgetary crisis is the big one. And, um, for any, any budget, you have two components, right? There's revenue and there's expenses. And for a dues-supported organization like the DSA, uh, revenue is tied to membership. And so after 2021, you start to see membership drop a little bit. You know, by the, the most recent official numbers I saw were, were from mid-2023 at their um, for their national convention that year. This was like August 2023. And they were down to about 78,000 members. Um, that's before what happened on October 7th and the DSA was, you know, widely condemned for their response to the, to the terrorist attacks. So a lot of high profile resignations since then. So nobody really knows how many members the DSA ha has right now, but we know membership was declining. And so membership dues would be declining at the same time. Combine that with increased expenses. The DSA had been spending money, um, as if that growth would continue basically starting in 2021 is my understanding. 
And so it was kind of a perfect storm, just a simple um, spending more money than you're bringing in. And now the organization is facing a self-described financial crisis and a, and a deficit of, uh, I think I saw about $2 million heading into 2024. And, it, and it's at the point that they're, say, they're talking about a total insolvency in a matter of months. So it's, it's a serious crisis. Sarah? Yeah, well, I just have to say hi, hi, Robert. I'm glad you're back. <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm just not shocked that uh, there weren't any, you know, MBAs running the DSA, right? People that understand business. You don't see a lot of um, uh, people with business degrees who understand market uh, sort of math uh, signing up to be hardcore socialists. I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. So I'll just say that off the top. But, um, I, you know, I've read a lot of your work on this and I reread uh, what you sent us today talking about this kind of implosion at the at the DSA, which looked like it was kind of on the upswing here until just recently. Right. Because um, we were talking about that last year about, oh, gosh, the DSA's, you know, the, the, the socialists are coming out in force. But I do think. Uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is this notion that you, you pointed it out when we were, when you, Mike, and I were kind of discussing what we wanted to talk about that we, sh- and I would like for you to talk a little bit more about it, that we probably should not be surprised that people who sort of align themselves, at least some Marxists do, some socialists do align themselves with this utopian idea and that, you know, market capitalism is a bad thing we shouldn't be surprised that they're not good at budgeting, right? <laughs> yeah, I think, so there's two, I guess from my perspective, there's two ways to look at this and they're related. There's the, okay, why did why did they spend more money than they were bringing in? And what does that say about the organization? So, so there's a lot of, it's really interesting to read the internal debates because it's all playing out in public um, you know, on the websites of the various DSA ideological caucuses, they're talking about what brought this up. And yeah, the, the consensus, the, 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 just, just for some background for our listeners, the DSA is governed by basically these institutional faction caucuses. And it's like the, the sketch from Monty Python with the people's front of Judea and the Judean people. <laughs> uh, Splitter. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, you know, you have like the outright communists and then the like mostly communists and then the like I'm sure there's like a faction of communists who think that the other communists aren't communist enough. Yeah. Um it's all 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 these little, you know, factions, they're called caucuses, are arguing about, you know, why this happened and what should be done about it. And there does seem to be some consensus that the attitude of the organization when you go to these conventions is approve, approve, approve all new proposals without a corresponding, you know, okay, what's this going to do to, the, to our budget? You know, how much is this going to cost? Should we, do we have the money to spend on this? And so there's, there's an attitude there that they recognize that probably has led to some of this. Aren't you um, saying too, and I think you wrote this in your last piece that they had a prosperity mindset kind of like, they put themselves in like a place where they believed they were going to be prosperous. Like yeah. just like prosperity preachers like Joel Osteen or or somebody like that. 
Yeah, that was an interesting bit of self self reflection I read from one of the caucuses. I don't remember which one, but they said they they have as as socialists they have this you know I think they called it an abundance mindset, right? Where they 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 approve spending and they're and, and without really thinking about whether the that abundance exists. Mm-hmm. And um, so that that was the interesting. Like I said, this is all stuff I've read self reflection from from the DSA itself, but. You, you know, Sarah, you got it this a minute ago. Just my thought of this is, you know, well, look at the or, look at the organization's political platform, right? This is not this does not scream moderation and, and sober evaluation of budgetary realities. I mean, this is a group that wants to, you know, materialize. You know, they put this in their political platform: millions of government guaranteed jobs, pay for everything. You know, free transit, free free water, energy. Um, decarbonize the economy in 10 years, uh, abolish a trillion dollars in student loan debts, you know, 32 hour work week, no reduction in payer benefits. And, and, you know, the only idea really to pay for any of this is tax the rich. I mean, and, and I guess like dramatically slash military spending, right. You know, defense spending I, that gets thrown out there too, but it's. It, it's unrealistic. Guess, is that it's, the right it, word? <laughs> it's a, and it's just, it makes it, you look at it and you say, okay, you know, I'm going to take you at your word that this is what you really want to do because you put it in your political platform, but that means I, I can't really take you seriously because I don't think those are serious proposals. Do they think they're serious proposals though? That's the question. Well, and that gets at another interesting... So we've talked about the National Com- Political Committee, I think, the, the caucuses that make this up. And and one thing that, um, you know, at these, at, these nat- at these conventions, they elect a new National Political Committee every two years. And the most recent one in 2023, you know, by my evaluation of allegiances of each member, I, of the 16 members, they have at least six communists slash revolutionary Marxist, you know, essentially communist members. And, and this is, this is, holding, not, red, this is not red baiting. This is what they actually call themselves. Exactly. Yeah. This is not me characterizing them. This is, this is me deferring to their own self-description. And, you know, if, if you're electing leaders who are, you know, dictatorship of the proletariat sees the means of production and you, you know, that tells me when you look around at society, you're not thinking a Bernie Sanders type socialist movement that might be viable in certain, certain circumstances or certain places. I mean, this tells me that this is a fringe organization or, or at least is an organization controlled by its, its most fringe elements. So, yeah. So can you, uh, do you have any sort of examples of positions or advocacy that you think are like best illustrative of how controlled by a fringe ideology the DSA is? What does abolish capitalism even mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody's really, I, I've not seen a, a succinct uh, description of, of that other than just the buzzword there, but, but the, probably if you were, or if you were to go to their political platform and pull something out that I think would sound the most extremist. I mean, they want to abolish all police and prisons and release everybody from involuntary confinement. Just throw, throw open the, the gates and, and let them go basically. And I, you know, that's not a serious proposal. Yeah. And on the subject of capitalism, I always thought, I always think that people that are capitalists um, and for our purposes here, maybe people who trend a little more to the right versus trend a little more to the left, uh, and, and hang out with sort of the socialist wing, 
I've always thought that we 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 talked about it in the wrong way. I, I think that we allowed them to define the terms when we were like, yeah, they want to abolish capitalism because I don't think communism and capitalism, those seem to me to be very apples and orange oranges, you know, socialism, it's a, it's a social structure. It's a social plan. How you, how you create a society. Capitalism is basically just math. I mean, it's, it's market. It's yes, it can be manipulated. It's market mathematics, but they're totally different yeah, things. I'd, and so I'd, I'd say that there that there is a that there is a social policy element to what we call capitalism. Market, sure, but it's only it's 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 only it's, secondary it's, to the actual market. Yeah, whereas I mean, socialism it's, it's tries rec- to design it. The recognition of the natural right of property is okay. It, it, okay, it, take it, your point. The, the 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 market democracy. The the whether it's a capitalist one like the United States or more of a social democracy like France, uh, you know, more socialist in its outlook, you know, there is a recognition, at least to some degree, of the natural right of property. In a socialist state, uh, the government controls all property. In a communist state, property doesn't exist. Uh, okay. If, in that know, regard, I take your point. But I do think that, you know, socialists try to you know, create a society and the market or what, you know, revenue and expenses, as Robert put it at the top, um, which is kind of a micro market. Yeah. No, um, the, the, yeah. This, that, is, this is, this is the, the question of central planning. That the, sure. Most, and those the social, things, the, the socialist system is, is going to be based on central planning, which again, one of the things, so, I'm, you know, I'm now going to say like, what can we learn from the DSA's troubles you know, these are the people who want central planning for the entire economy and they can't plan their own organization. Right. That's exactly right. And there's another interesting point when you look at the DSA here. So we're talking about the economy, economics of all this. But I, one of the things that's fascinating to me about the DSA is how non-economic um, policy areas have become so such a focus for the organization. We mentioned Israel earlier, abolishing the police. I mean, you think of, when you think of socialism, you think of an economic paradigm in opposition to capitalism, but when you look at what the DSA does, that's exactly the point. National health service, you know, that's, social, that's exactly social. the point I've been trying to make. Um, yeah. The, so, so, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it's fascinating. And I think this is probably, uh, this is, Related, I think, to all of the issues we've been talking about, the DSA's problems, because it's trying to go off in so many different directions and fund and pay for so many different things, because that's the membership, the new membership that has come in, um, particularly in, since the mid-2010s, has all these different interests. You know, the, Isra- the anti-Israel activism being probably the most uh, prominent example of that. This is the whole but idea of the everything leftism. That this is all everything, the issue, this is all everything the issues are related. All the issues are mutually dependent. You know, it's not enough to just have a national health service. You also have to have, you know, trans rights and, uh, you know, deny Israel as a state. And isn't that how communism began, though? That's what I'm saying. Like, it was a complete restructuring of the system from a sort of social perspective, how it's socially ordered. Um, So it makes sense to me that it's never really been about capitalism or defiance of capitalism. It's always been everything leftism. It's what it's always seemed like to me. So this doesn't seem strange to me that they're, you know, 
into everything leftism, which if we should probably explain what everything leftism is. Yeah, it's it's my it's my term for these sort of when you see all these progressive groups that are wandering out of what you would think their lane is and you see, you know, why they all apply the same standards to everything. They all speak in the same language, like on things like DEI. You know, why is it all aligned? Why is it all together? Why does the why do the, why do the labor unions care about abortion and why does Planned Parenthood care about labor unions? It's the uh and it's that there is an ideological structure, an ideological position, and an institutional constraint that they all must march together on everything because everything is mutually dependent. All all the issues depend on all the other issues. So you have, I mean, just yesterday, the American Federation of Teachers Labor Union came out for a ceasefire in Israel. You know, why? Everything leftism. Well, I have a question for Robert about if they're imploding like this, do we need to be worried? I mean, we, you know, we, we, we sort of worry that, you know, the, the everything leftists are out there, gosh, constantly protesting and constantly, you know, just telling us all where we're wrong and we have to embrace all of these things. And we can see with our own eyes that a lot of the things they want us to embrace are actually destructive, if not outright dangerous. Well, if they can't even keep a budget and they can't even keep their their uh, you know national organization together, do we need to be concerned about them? You know, that's a good question. All of, all of these political and ideological leanings came from somewhere, so those aren't going to go away just because the DSA is having a um, a bad year, so to speak. It will be very interesting to see. You know, their next convention is in 2025. It is going to be, I think I said this the last time we we talked about the DSA in the aftermath of the terrorist attacks in Israel. It's going to be really interesting to look back on this 2023-2024 period in, in a year or two and just see what the DSA becomes. Because I, you know, I think they're in the process of trying to sort this budgetary issue out, out now. But at least the stuff I've read, there's not internal agreement on how to do that. And certainly you know, the the big elephant in the room for the organization is layoffs because staff is the highest, um, the largest component of their expenses is, is staff expenses. And, and, and quite a let, few let me people. guess, these good socialists are unionized staff, are they not? They, they are in fact unionized, yes. And so that adds another layer of complication because this is an you know, organization that holds itself out to be very uh, labor friendly. And it doesn't look great if you hire unionized staff and then mismanage your budget as the boss and then have to terminate them, you know, <laughs> um, it, it calls into question a lot of that stuff. But um, no, I mean, I think um, October 7th was the watershed moment for the DSA in terms of when we look back on their influence, but, this, but it's important to emphasize that these budgetary issues were set in motion well before that. And, um, the, and it's also interesting to see that the, the current, or I guess I should say the outgoing national director who's been with the organization since 2011. So, so she has seen this entire dynamic period of the DSA's growth and, and now it struggles. You know, she had in her, in her announcement that she was leaving, she said she made the decision in the fall, uh, which would be in the aftermath of the, the convention and when all, um, 
when all of this started to happen. But then she postponed announcing that because of of the terrorist attacks and and the uh, more specifically what it calls the Palestine solidarity work that it's doing and the organization's response to that. So I think it's interesting to see how this all kind of plays together. And we're going to look back and, and, and really uh, see this as a, as a watershed period for the DSA. What do you think happens to the American radical left if the DSA falls in influence? Like, like who's got, who, what would rise, would rise up in its place? That's a good question. Um, there are other radical left organizations out there um, to the left of the DSA, even. Um, Party for Socialism and Liberation seems to be really d- doing a lot of the street demonstrations for the anti-Israel stuff. They do. And it's interesting. I don't know how much overlap there is between these organizations. If some people are members of both, if, if they, but I do know that there are caucuses, influential caucuses within the DSA that are no are you know full-blown revolutionary communists i'm not sure how much farther left than that you go so um if this is if they're attracting that 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 political and and that used to be a political ideology that that was not that the dsa was not designed to support i mean this is a when i talk about the radicalization of the organization since the 2010s i mean this is radical relative to where it used to be in the 1980s and 1990s you know the Michael Harrington era DSA. He, he was, was not he was more of a more of a social democrat, more of a Clement Attlee. He was and he was explicitly anti-communist, and so just seeing that play out at the DSA, I think, is related to all of this um, that transition. So, if if their dues are not paying for their expenses, which you said this is mainly a dues-paying organization, right? That's where they get their money. Is there a chance you could see some big lefty like foundation coming in and just throwing a bunch of money at the organization to keep it afloat? There's a chance. So, so the DSA is a 501c4, and it would be tricky, I think, for a foundation. I mean, it found you know it'd be tricky for a foundation to to fund them. They do have a DSA fund, which is a 501c3 that supports their educational work and stuff. So it's it's not out. It's possible, I guess. But that's not been a source of the DSA's, for whatever reason, that's not been a source of the DSA's revenue in the past. I don't know if that's because there's an institutional, you know, sometimes in these left-wing groups, there's sort of an institutional hesitation to taking big foundation capitalist money, right? Sometimes there's not, and sometimes that's a conspicuous irony. But in the DSA's case, that has not been a source of funding in the past. And so if we do see that happen, if big institutional funders step in, I mean, that would be... That'd be incredibly noteworthy. Anything else that we've missed so far? I mean, I don't think so. I mean, it's just fascinating to see this play out. And um, really, it's just it, as someone who's who's been kind of been watching the DSA and just to see the organization implode in such a basic revenue expenses way has been really, really interesting to watch. I mean, you would joke that they that they're running out they're like all socialists running out of other people's money but it's their own money so <laughs> yeah. exactly. right. they need to hi- they need to hire some people who understand the market which is the great irony here hiring. because hiring was the problem <laughs> well that weren't they just paying people like hiring too many people and paying them too much i mean Hi- hiring was the problem um from what i understand they just brought in too many too many people yeah um was uh uh 
Yeah, yeah, and again, was, if you're if you're projecting continued exponential growth as the permanent revolution <laughs> ascends to ever higher planes of power, uh, and then it doesn't happen, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. So no, I'm I'm fascinated to see how this plays out for the rest of the year because I don't know. I'm sure there. I'm sure that's a discussion that's happening right now as we're having this conversation. Is how do we balance this budget? What needs to happen? And maybe it's not, and that's the problem for them. <laughs> They're like, no, it'll just manifest. The abundance will manifest. Well, I get okay. So if if it, if it doesn't happen, then the conversation we're going to be having a year from now is, oh, do you remember the DSA? <laughs> All right. Anything else you guys are working on that you'd like to let our listeners know about before I let you go? Uh, well, I got a, you know, I've been looking into Taylor Swift Foundation funding. I don't think she's doing anything. I just got a, a call from a reporter. So I think people are interested in whether or not she's going to have a um, any uh, influence on the next election if she endorses. So I'm doing that. I don't know if that's interesting to anyone. Robert? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, I've got an article coming um, out in the next magazine about sort of the more, the broader global ecosystem of far-left activism of which the dsa this is, this is, is a progressive a international this is the progressive international and so um when that gets posted or published or however it comes out first i, I, would, I would you know anybody who's interested in sort of the global trends around this and just 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 how far the dsa is one component of this but there are dozens of other organizations Jerry, in the Jeremy United Corbin, States. I know Jeremy Corbyn's involved yeah. in it. Uh, Yanis exactly. Varoufakis, the former uh, Greek finance minister, is like the head of it. Yeah. Um, heads of state, former heads of state, big, um, big influential deal. people. Yeah. And so it hasn't been covered very much. And um, the DSA work is what led me to that. So uh, that, that's sort of the natural outgrowth of this conversation, I think. Cool. Well, thanks again to my colleagues, Robert Stilson and Sarah Lee, for joining me. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week.